Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Over the next few moments, I'd like to share some thoughts that are really connected to this week's parasha. And as a bit of a disclaimer, we're going to go more in depth at 145, Lord willing, uh, to three in the Shabbaton class at the other end of the building that Ricky was alluded to. But uh, just if you, if you haven't been following along in the Torah portions or reading them, and there are also associated Haftorah portions and the Brit Kadashah, the New Covenant portions. Even if you haven't been reading them, you're probably aware somewhat of the life of Joseph. Now, there are two Josephs that we think of. We think of Joseph, actually three I think of. There's Joseph of Arimathea. How many have heard of him before? Most of us. There's Yosef, who was the earthly dad of Yeshua the Messiah. How many have heard of him before? Uh. And then there's the other one, the original Joseph, way back. And we read about him in the Parashayot in the Torah portions. And he was the son of Jacob. And as we segue into the Torah portions that cover Joseph's life, we encounter really some fascinating, intriguing, challenging narrative that discusses his life and his interaction with his family members, with his siblings, with his father, eventually with, with even Pharaoh and Potiphar and Potiphar's wife, and he just keeps piling on there, all these relationship things. And I think you would agree in the course of your lifetime already, you've probably met many different types of people that... You interacted with, and if you start parsing that somewhat, there's some that you probably liked readily when you met them. And others you probably didn't like so much. Now, let's be honest about it. There are some people that we, we uh, you know, how do I say, we click immediately with them, and there's other people when we encounter them, we, we wonder, you know, it's just like... And then there's some people we, we meet and we esteem them, and there's others that we meet and we may not esteem them quite so much. And there are some that we admire, and there are others ah, we don't quite admire so much, and I'm trying to be gracious about all this. And there's some that we seem to understand them well as they communicate with us, and there's others, no, and even in the course of a lifetime, you may never understand them. And particularly when you start trying to figure out decisions they make. You just don't understand them. How could they make that decision? Or why are they doing that? And there's others you understand quite well why they're doing things. And there's some that we dislike. 
and there's some that we disliked and we learned to like them. How many of you can say you've had someone that you disliked immediately and then afterwards you started to like them? Most of us, if we think about it, that's happened. Our first impression might not have been white hot. How do I say it? But then when we get to know them better, understand them a little more, we start to, hey, this is not such a bad person in the sense of likability. And there's others that we may grow to dislike, and even over time, we dislike them more. And I won't ask you to identify if you've had any of those in your life. Now, this last scenario of disliking and then having an increased dislike, and I'm using the kinder word than what occurs in the Torah, really does describe to some degree the situation with Yosef, Joseph, and his siblings, his brothers. Our Parashat Torah portion begins in Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 37, and it portrays right off the bat in the first chapter, portrays a growing disdain that Joseph's brothers had for Yosef, for Joseph himself. In Sefer Bereshit, the book of Genesis, chapter 32, beginning with verse, chapter 37, beginning with verse 2, it starts out with this very curious phrase, and I'm going to say the Hebrew first, and then explain a little bit why. Here's how verse 2, Genesis 37, begins. It says, Ele todot Yaakov. The next word after Yaakov is Yosef. Ele todot Yaakov Yosef, and it goes on from there. It's translated, this is the history of Jacob, Ele todot Yaakov. This is the history, the generations of Jacob. And then the very next word connected in both the English, the Hebrew, and in other translations, the, the word that's connected to Jacob is Joseph. Ele todot Yaakov Yosef, and it continues on. This statement begins by saying this is the history or the Hebrews todolta generations of Jacob and the very next word in both the Hebrew and the English as I've mentioned is the name Joseph. It's as if it's saying the future of Jacob from this point on is connected to Joseph. And isn't that what actually happens? How profound is the Hebrew text here in the English by the way. Ele todot Yaakov, Yosef. Jacob and Joseph connected together. And the very destiny of Yaakov, of Jacob, was connected to Joseph. And so, when we think like that and we read what happens afterwards, it becomes an intriguing narrative. It continues, the text continues. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph or Yosef being 17 years old. Genesis 37 verse 2 and forward. Yosef being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. 
Notice it says who he was with. They were who? The sons of Bilhan, the sons of Zilpah. We'll go over this in Shabbaton, Lord willing, this afternoon. Who was married to who and who, who begat who, etc. Who the mother of each one was and what do their names mean. But it says he, the lad, Yosef, was with the sons of Bilhan, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wife, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. The text seems to allude to initially he didn't bring a bad report of all of them, but to a subgroup of them. And then verse 3, after the, the, the idea of a bad report, in the very next verse, verse 3 of Sefer Bereshit, Genesis 37, is now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Now, if you didn't know this story and you came to that verse with some type of perceptiveness, perception, you might think, uh-oh, this doesn't always work out well. <laughs> now, Israel, which is the other name of Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, and it gives us a kind of a reason why, because he was the son of his old age. And then there's this little statement. Boy, is this a little statement that really has big implication. Also, Jacob made him, made Joseph, a tunic of many colors. Ketonet pasim in Hebrew. Made him a tunic of many colors. There have been different renditions as to what that looks like. Does it mean striped? Many people think it means that is possible. So not only does it say Israel loved, Jacob loved Joseph more than all his brothers because of his, he was his son of his old age, but also he made him a tunic of many colors. There, when the other siblings looked at Joseph, they saw the physical demonstration of Jacob's love for him through the ketonet pasim, the tunic of many colors. And then it says in verse 4, and it's no surprise, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, the text says, they hated him, they hated him, and they could not speak peaceably to him. Now, already just going four verses into this chapter, we see uh, problems on the horizon. And even if you didn't know the narrative, even if you didn't know what was going to happen, you could see that something's brewing. There's storm clouds on the horizon. It's like there's this storm that's brewing, and we're going to find out that Joseph is in the eye of this storm. And Joseph, at times, with his kutone pasim, his, his tunic of many colors, he's in the eye of the storm. And Genesis chapter 37 continues, and it emphasizes the hatred. Hatred. Now, in my opening remarks, I use the term disliking someone, you know, you dislike them. The text says in clear Hebrew and clear English that the brothers, those around Joseph, his siblings, hated him. They disdained him, and they couldn't speak peaceably at all with him. That's how this deteriorated. Have you ever been in a relationship that deteriorated? 
Most of us have experienced something like that. So this chapter, chapter 37, really jumps over itself in a number of places to show just how much Joseph's brothers, and I'm going to use the word that the text used, they hated him. They disdained this guy. And as I already said, they couldn't speak peaceably to him. Now, Genesis chapter 37, verse 5, after Joseph has his first recorded dream, we're told, and they hated him even more. There wasn't a congratulation. Wow, that was an insightful dream. No, that says they hated him even more. And, and Joseph asked his brothers to please listen as he recounted the dream, and they do so. And their response, as Genesis 37, verse 8 tells us, it says, so they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. We're told in Genesis chapter 37, verse 9, that Joseph had another dream, which he told to his brothers. It's curious in the text that it doesn't say that he asked his brothers if they wanted to hear it. It says he told his brothers. By the way, and I'm not sure this is the exact case, but just as far as human relationship goes, have you ever had contact with someone that just blurted something out that you didn't necessarily want to hear? Maybe you weren't prepared to hear it. Maybe it wasn't the right context. Maybe it didn't apply to you. Well, there's this sense about Joseph in this next dream that he has. He tells his brothers. Previously he said, would you please listen to this? He tells his brothers this and and perhaps in the, in the exuberance, he may have blurted it out. We don't know. But this time, Joseph told the dream also to his father, Jacob. So he tells the dream to his siblings, his achim, his brothers, and also to his of, his father. And it tells us in Genesis 37, verse 11, it, it gives us the description of their response to Joseph's dream. Here's what it says. And his brothers envied him. So you can see we're getting to the situation where it's increasingly antagonistic. And the inner feelings, because feelings like envy and hatred and all that, they can root inside of a person. And let me suggest to you, if you're bearing some hatred towards anything except sin, you might want to uproot it by the help of the Holy Spirit. And get rid of it because it's poison to your soul. You will become an embittered person. In the book of Messianic Jews, Hebrew says that the root of bitterness springs up and defiles many. So please don't play around with that kind of an emotion. It says in Genesis 37, verse 11, and his brothers envied him. But then it mentions his father, because he had told his father, Jacob, the dream, and said his father, Shemaratadavar, which translates means his father kept the mind. He watched over, kept in, kept in mind the matter of what Joseph was saying. He kept it in mind. What do you do when someone comes and recounts to you a dream? I hope you have a lot of shelves. <laughs> in your inner luggage. <laughs> you just shelf these things sometimes. Perhaps you've had dreams, and God does speak through dreams. 
And I, you know, I won't ask you to, to extend a hand and show that he spoke to you, but he does do that. It's, it's scripture, it's biblical, but we need to be careful about the dreams that we accept and receive. It says that his father and his brothers, his brothers envied him, but it says his father, Shemarta Davar, it means that they, they, the father kept the matter in mind, is how it's translated. And it kind of watched over this, kept an eye on it. The word shomer is the very word we use to describe a watchman in this facility. Someone who's doing security duty is a shomer or a shomeret. It says shomeret hadavar, he kept the matter in his mind. He just, he shelved it. He had it there in front of him, but he kept it in mind. And yet, the text is curious. If you read the parasha, the text is curious because right after all this, inexplicably almost, Jacob soon sent Joseph alone, alone, to check on his brothers who had gone to Shechem, modern-day Nablus, to feed their father's flock. It's almost an inexplicable thing. Of course, we believe God's in the details he's involved. But after all the disdain and hatred that's going on, either Jacob was not aware of how deep the disdain and hatred was of Joseph's brothers to Joseph, or Jacob needed someone he could rely on, such as Joseph, to bring a report back about the feeding of his flocks, his father's flocks. So when Joseph finally, he, he arrives to them, and they're at a place called Dotan, which is in the modern-day uh, territories. The text tells us in Genesis chapter 37, verse 18, here's the response. Now when they saw Joseph afar off, they knew this guy, and they recognized him even from a distance. Their own brother now when they saw Joseph afar off, everyone was excited and they struck up the band and they were so glad he was there. That's not in my version. Now when they saw Joseph afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. So there we see hatred disdain and all those negative things resulting in this type of activity that we would call murder. They conspired against him to kill him from a distance when they saw him. They didn't even hear him out. They didn't know why he was coming for them. It's as if it didn't matter to them. They see this guy, they're going to get him. That's how it is. Yeah, as the text tells us, due to Reuben's intervention and other reasons, instead, instead of killing Yosef, Joseph, the narrative tells us that they sold him to the Midianites who brought Joseph to Egypt, bringing about what we could call a series of events very familiar to us that would ultimately lead to, to Joseph's vindication and his exaltation, as well as the deliverance of the very brothers and their families that disdained him and hated him. Deliverance from famine and what could have probably been death. And Joseph's the vessel God uses to do that. And then after Joseph ends up exalted to the second place, 
of authority within Egypt. Joseph there, it says he's like a father to Pharaoh. And all of Jacob's children were down in Egypt now. They had come to receive the food, to invitation from Pharaoh. They came down to Egypt. And eventually Jacob dies in Egypt. We'll cover this later in the Parashayot, in the Torah portions. He dies in Egypt. And Joseph states exactly what Kevin said this morning. After all this has worked its way out with his brothers, and he's looking back and reflecting, Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 says this. Joseph says, but as for you, notice this please, you meant evil against me. Do you notice how Joseph approaches this? He doesn't give them any, any slack. He said, you meant evil for me. He doesn't try to explain their actions or give them a pass on how they were towards him. He, he calls it what it is. You meant evil for me. But also notice the mentality of Joseph. He said, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to have many people alive. So that's where this narrative takes us. I've encouraged you, if you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, to dig into it. It does speak to us. It speaks about relationships. This remarkable story of Joseph and his father and his brothers becomes the main topic of the remainder of the book of Bereshit, Genesis. The main topic. And there are lessons that we learn from Joseph's stories which continue to challenge us as we read this story and we think about relationships and we think about how relationships can go astray and awry. We learn some lessons. Now, sure, and let's be forthright about it, we may never experience the specific events that happened to Joseph in his life. I mean, we may never be thrown into a pit and left for dead. <laughs> I hope that doesn't happen to anybody. <laughs> we may never be sold to Midianites. I hope that doesn't happen to any of us. And we may never become second in command in Egypt, like Joseph did. Yeah, I believe there are aspects of this story that reflect upon our own life. For example... Who hasn't experienced family challenges? Most of us have. If we're honest about it. Some are good about hiding them and pushing them under the rug, but they're family challenges. And some of us have experienced sibling rivalry. Some of us have been envious of others, and we've been viewed with envy. And some of us have experienced maternal or paternal favoritism in our own family. I don't want to date myself too much, but there was a comedy team called the Smothers Brothers. <laughs> and that was one of their gag lines. Mom always loved you more than me. That type of thing. And he used that as a gag line to bring up jokes. But some of us have experienced, we've had to live through, maybe we're living through it now, this paternal and maternal favoritism. And it can be hard to deal with. And some of us have been a party to hurtful decisions concerning others. We've made decisions that have impacted others' lives that haven't been the best decisions. Or maybe we've tried to intervene when we realized such decisions were being made. We tried to be a Reuven, a Reuben, and intervene and, and somehow, you know, 
mollify it. And surprisingly, underlying issues we read about in Joseph's life sound remarkably, remarkably akin to some of the issues we face in our own lives. The specifics are different. We're not in the land of Israel right now. Many of us wish we were, but we're not. We're not going to end up in Egypt, etc., as Joseph did. And I have read the account of Joseph's life many times, as probably most of you have. I've read the account of his life many times. And I came away thinking a number of things as I read about Joseph's life, the ups and the downs of it. I came away thinking something along this line. If only his brothers had done this. Or if only Joseph had done that. Or something along these lines. Or if Jacob had only done this. If only. If only. Perhaps Jacob should have spoken to his sons and said, hey, what's going on here? There's no record that he did. Maybe he did. Maybe they just didn't listen. But these words, if only, they're two big words, if and only, when they're put together. They're two big words when it comes to reflecting on an individual's life. If only. You can personalize and say, if only I had done this or not done that. And we can reflect back on our lives and and see that these two words, if only, can have bearing upon how we view our lives and reflect some of the underlying issues that are there. There were issues with Jacob and his sons, particularly in relationship to Joseph and his brothers. Now, thankfully, and I mean thankfully, The New Covenant has much to say about the underlying issues that we encounter that are connected to Joseph and his brothers. The if-only issues that we could face in our own lives, the New Covenant addresses, the Brit Hadashah addresses these in principle and sometimes in more direct terms. And I want to share with you five in conclusion today. Five if-only-Joseph-brothers-had statements. If only Joseph's brothers had. And then offer you new covenant passages that we should be thankful for, that the word of God directs us in the right path. Hallelujah. So that we're not given over to hatred and envy and those type of things, but rather we're called to walk by the spirit of God, to exhibit the fruit and the gifts of the spirit of God. If only Joseph's brothers had. Let me give you the first one, the first if only statement. Number one, if only Joseph brothers had exhibited a good faith attempt at making things right and being at peace with Joseph. Do you realize as you read the text, there's not a single example of them trying to work it out? There's not a single verse that says, and Reuben went and talked to, to Joseph privately and said, hey, bro, you know, can we work this out? Not a single verse. If only Joseph's brothers had exhibited good faith and tried to work this stuff out. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 18, offers what could be called an overarching goal for relationships. For relationships with others that we are dealing with. And recognizing at times that there can be challenges in relationships. Even close relationships. It says in Romans 12, verse 18, if it is possible, as much as depends on who? You. Live peaceably with all men. This verse, if we remove some of the segments of it, if it is possible, live peaceably with all men. But the statement in between the if it is possible and live peaceably with all men is this statement, as much as depends on you. The idea there, the rebound idea, is that, you know, a relationship doesn't always depend only on you. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Have you encountered a relationship where you just can't seem to come to that place? And you're willing, at least in your heart of hearts, you think, I'm willing, I want to get this in a better place. But, you know, is it, it takes two to tango or is it takes two to tangle? Maybe both of them. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, Live peaceably with who? All men. Now, there are some people, they are what I would call dynamite throwers. They come into the middle of a situation and with their words, they just throw these hand grenades into the middle of the conversation. They're provocative. They want an argument. Have you ever met someone that just loves to argue? If it is possible... As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's if only statement number one. Here's a second one. If only statement number two. If only Joseph's brothers had yielded to love rather than hate. How many of you think the narrative would change dramatically if their brothers had decided, I'm going I'm to love Joseph rather than have this, this crescendo of hate that's building up in their relationship with him. The text doesn't mention at all them doing anything in the way of love towards Joseph. It stumbles over itself. The text does to say how much they disdained him, they envied him, they hated him. And eventually, what does it lead to? They wanted to kill the guy from afar when they saw him. Later on, the Torah will tell us in Sefer Vayikra, the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 17. This is after Joseph and his brothers had passed away. And in the days of Moshe, Sefer Vayikra, Leviticus 19, verse 17 says, read it with me, please. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. Is there something curious about that statement? Yes, you shall not hate your brother. Where? In your heart. Proverbs, Mishle Shlomo, the Proverbs of Solomon will say, to keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. When you enter into any type of communication with someone, your, your heart's there. You may not be giving them your heart, but you're there and your physical being is there. 
It continues, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance, how about this one, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people. That is quite a word, the word grudge. It's a word that sounds exactly like it means. <laughs> Someone comes up to you and said, I have a grudge against you. You're not expecting them to give you a gift. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children or people, but you shall and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ani Adonai, I am the Lord. Of course, as I mentioned, these words were given to Israel after the days of Joseph and his brothers, during the time of Moshe and Aharon and Miriam. The new covenant, though, I think, takes it even farther concerning relating the love of people with the love of God. Let me give you a couple examples, if I may, from 1 Yochanan, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. How? Because we love the brethren. <laughs> That's enough right there. Dayenu. That would be enough. But it continues, he who does not love his brother abides in death. There's a big stake in relationships. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. If your heart is filled with hatred and murder and envy and disdain, all those type of things, how's the things of God going to find place in your heart? And in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, and I'm just going to quote what this says, he is a shakran, a liar. He's a liar. Someone said, oh, I love God, but then on the other side, they're hating their brother. That person's lying. He is a liar, for he who, it continues, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And you know, there are many other passages in the Brit Hadashah that affirm these ideas. If only... Joseph's brothers had chosen to love their brother rather than to allow hatred to continue to seep into their hearts. And friends, let me suggest to you, if you're holding any ill will, hatred, malice, any of these things in your heart towards anyone, please don't leave the sanctuary without getting rid of it. It will be a mikshol, it'll be a, a snare to your feet and cause you much sorrow and others. If only statement number three goes like this. If only Joseph's brothers had chosen to overlook and forgive Joseph for what they perceived wrong about him. If only Joseph's brother had chosen to overlook and to forgive Joseph for those things they perceived were wrong about him. 
Matthew chapter 6, in the words of our blessed Messiah, verse 14 says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And I have to say, verse 15, there's that big theological word, B-U-T. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I don't think there gets, there's a higher authority than Yeshua. And when he says this, he means it. And I know it's easy sometimes to fall into the mire of unforgiveness, even towards people we love, a spouse, a relative, a co-worker, congregate, a neighbor. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And Colossians chapter 3, in the words of Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, says, therefore, verse 12, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And then it says this in verse 13 of Colossians chapter 3. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another. And it doesn't stop there. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Messiah Yeshua forgave you, so you also must do. It's for our own health. And I believe it impacts our physical health if we don't forgive. It will impact us mentally, physically, socially, right on down the line. Personally, it'll impact us. And we can talk much more about that. But if you're interested, to do a study on forgiveness just from the Brit Chadashah, from the New Covenant. If only statement number four of five. If only Joseph's brothers would have accepted rather than despise Joseph for the person he was. When you think about it, he was a remarkable young man. At age 17, we're told he was entrusted by his father to go all the way to Dotan. It doesn't say anyone went with him. He went all the way to, Dothan, to Dothan to check on his father's flocks, to bring a report back. He was already deemed trustworthy by his father. And later on, he'll be deemed highly trustworthy by Paro Melech Mitzrayim, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, who entrusted basically the whole country to him, more or less. But if only Joseph's brothers would have accepted rather than despised Joseph for the person he was. He had many gifts. He was spiritually minded. He wanted to do what's right, as were later the text proves when it comes to Potiphar's wife. He wanted to do what's right. Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 7, says, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, according to Messiah Yeshua, 
Verse 6, that you may with what? One mind and one mouth, with one accord, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Therefore, receive one another, just as Messiah also received us to the glory of God. It doesn't say tolerate sinfulness and evil, but it says receive a person. Later on in the book of Messianic Jews, it'll talk, in talking about hospitality, it says that some, probably referencing back to Avraham, some received angels unaware to their home. Much more to say about this, but if only Joseph's brothers would have accepted him for who he was, that person he was, he was quite dynamic. He was quite spiritual. It seemed like, it seemed like he was trustworthy and faithful. And lastly, if only statement number five. If only Joseph's brothers would have confessed to their father the evil that they did to Joseph. Do you remember later on when they sell him into slavery to the Midianites, eventually to Egyptian slavery? And none of them crack. That's what's unusual about this story. They, they maintain a united front for years concerning what they had done to Joseph. Not a single one of them go to their father in private and say, Yaakov, Dad, Abba, whatever they say. We did wrong. Joseph's still alive. They watched their father suffer through the torture uh, and, and they used the ruse of, of cloth with blood on it to make it look like Joseph had been killed. And all the time they knew the story was different. Not a single one of them went and confessed to their father. Aren't we like that, thinking in spiritual terms sometimes? We can be very much like that. We need to confess to our heavenly father. Be honest and real with him. He, you're not fooling him. You can't pull the wool over his eyes. And he's not mocked. It says in 1 Yohanan, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins. And to do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we don't want to go to the Lord in honesty and say, I am struggling, Lord, help me with this. Fill me in this area with your Holy Spirit. What kind of a dead-end street is that for us? If only Joseph's brothers had gone to their father and confessed what they'd done. If one of them would have cracked. And ultimately, we know God's sovereignty was involved in all this. He saw, he knew and the mysterious nature of God. He knew. And, and as uh, Kevin read, and as I mentioned, that Genesis 50 passage, what they meant for evil, God turned it for good. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, in the book of Yaakov, confess your trespasses to one another. What's the next statement? And pray for one another that you may be healed. It seems to link some of our physical issues with unrequited sin in our lives. So frank, frankly, we could continue listing several more if only Joseph's brothers had done this. And if you'd like uh, to do that on your own, that would be interesting. What else should we say? 
But we can continue uh, with several more thoughts about this. But instead, I want to offer up here an important plea to you on this Shabbat. Friends, please, please don't let your life become an if only I had life. If only I had forgiven that person. If only I had chosen to love them instead of hated them. If only I had confessed and made real and got real. If only, if only, please don't let your life become that. It wasn't good for Joseph's brothers. And God was merciful on them. And he's merciful to us through the name of Yeshua, his holy son. But please, don't let your life become an if only I had life that's full of missed opportunities and regrets. The Lord has much better plans for you than that. If only I had that life of regret that's linked to that idea. God's plan, his purposes are are for good and not for evil for your life, as he said to Israel. And maybe it begins with one of the first passages that I read from the book of Romans. As much as is possible, so much as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Get things right. Maybe it's coming to the realization that when dealing with others, including family members, we need to be more reasonable, not unreasonable, concerning whatever matter comes up. Or could it be that you need to adhere to reasonable expectations in your relationship with others? Were Joseph's brother's expectations of Joseph unreasonable? Some can argue yes. We're told he was a 17-year-old young man that already had a lot of responsibility. Are your expectations reasonable towards your spouse, towards your friend, towards your sibling, your coworker? Are you trying to mold them to be like you? Or are you willing to accept them? And we all have our foibles. Accept them. I'm not talking about accepting sin or compromising on the principles of truth. But accepting a person, their distinct personality. And it's helpful to keep in mind every person you know, met, ever will meet, could have met. Yeshua died for that person. That's how valuable that person is or was. Maybe endeavoring when necessary to clear the air. Have you had a clear the air session? Maybe you need that with your spouse. Not just blabbing out things, but also listening. Clear the air. Maybe it's your friend you need that would clear the air. Get that air clean. Nothing like polluted air. (laughs) The only thing that results in, ask the Chinese, is having to wear a mask to protect you from the pollutants. Maybe humbly accepting your part in causing any of the rifts that have happened. Humbly accepting them. Say, yeah, you know, fess up. Fess up. Not ingenuously, but genuinely. If you've made a mistake, fess up to it. See, oftentimes when a person's honest about those type of things, that allows the person they're talking with to be honest also. 
And rather than, you know, distance meeting distance and never the twain shall meet, honesty meets honesty, and then they can walk better together. And doing the best you can not to cause further issues. And there are some that just love to throw gasoline on the fire. <laughs> it's a certain personality type that just loves to, yeah, throw a match in it and then walk away and <laughs> leave it burning, you know, that type of thing. But I want to leave you with this thought, though. I think the most important of all may be this final ideal. And it comes from the Scripture and no matter what you face or no matter what you face or who you face or why you face the people, the circumstances, or the challenges that you do in your life, no matter, remember the words of Yehuda, Jude, chapter 1, verse 20. There's only one chapter. It begins also with that big word, B-U-T. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. What kind of faith? Holy faith. Praying in the Ruach HaKodesh, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Can you do that? Keep yourself in the love of God. You can't control the others and you shouldn't try to. You can influence for Messiah. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, unto eternal life. Let's pray. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.